Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for that, Matt. If you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Here at First Baptist Fairdale, we are in between series. And so uh, last week, we looked at the focus and mission of our church. That was good, good reminder for us to look at what our mission statement is and what we are going to be about, what it is that we value, and maintaining this focus that we must be about Jesus. And we hit that hard last week. We are about Jesus. We talk about him. We preach about him. We want every relationship to be about him and going toward him. And while we're doing that, we want to make sure that we are loving and serving everybody, both God and people. And so last week, we recalibrated, if you will, uh, on our focus and mission. Well, today, I want us to look at, as you can see in your bulletin, the one another's in the Bible. The one another's. If you've read the Bible, you've been around church much, you can probably think of some right now. There are many mentions in the Bible that say one another. If you don't know it, there are 100 times in the New Testament that the Bible says one another. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. Those types of phrases. 100 times in the New Testament we have that. It is so good for the church to remember that and, and, and have that come from the Word of God to us. And that is what I am wanting us to look at today. And so um, we're going to look at 1 Peter 4 today because he brings it up. Peter uses the phrase one another. Paul uses the phrase one another. Jesus uses the phrase one another. James uses the phrase one another. Everybody in the New Testament uses the phrase one another because the church is God's witness to the world through Christ. The church is God's witness to the world through Christ. This is why we just read what we read in John chapter 13, where Jesus himself says, by this, all people will know that you are my followers by the way you love each other. And we get sideways all the time in thinking that the way we treat the lost is our most effective witness. Well, absolutely, it's an effective witness, right? Showing mercy and sacrifice and kindness and preaching the gospel and love to people that don't know Christ is a beautiful witness. May we be a city set up on a hill. But you know what is an even more effective witness in the world? The supernatural, spirit-filled, God-given commitment to each other through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the witness. That's what the Bible teaches. And this comes about as we study the one another's. I love get-togethers. Uh, this past week, we had a, a funeral, and there was a huge family, and they all got together, and it was special just to see them. They had a potluck because of the coronavirus. I haven't been to a potluck in four months. I haven't been to a Wednesday night dinner in a long time. They had squash casserole there. It was the first time I'd had that in a long time. It was awesome, and I love get-togethers, whether it be Christmas with the family, Thanksgiving, or whatever, and there have been several times in my life where we are at a family get-together, and y'all know how those go, right? They're supposed to be great, but usually somebody gets upset and storms out. And I remember where somebody speak up, we're about to pray or something for the meal, and somebody says, listen, guys, we don't always get together too much, and we're all finally here. Can we just try, please, to all get along for once, just for one afternoon, no bickering, no complaining, nobody insult, nobody getting offended, nobody bringing up this or nobody bringing up that. Can we just for once just get along, right? And you hear somebody say that. And that would be nice, wouldn't it? 
And God bless the moms and grandmoms that always bring that up, right? Because dad never says that. And that would be so nice, wouldn't it? But I always find myself going, why can't we? You know, that happens nationally too, doesn't it? You remember when 9-11 happened and for quite some time there was like a great emphasis on unity after 9-11? You remember when like the Olympics happens and for a short little two-week period there's this great emphasis on unity, right? A lot of times when there's a national tragedy or something like that, you'll see this emphasis and you'll hear somebody say, hey, for, for this one day we weren't this or that, we were all this, right? But it, it can't last, And I know we're going to sound very much so uh, small-minded, but God teaches us that because of our sinfulness and our hardness of hearts, we can't be united apart from God's work inside of us. Now, we can work for it, and we can see glimpses of it, but unity comes through the power of God working in us. It doesn't become, you don't get unity because we are all so good and therefore it's easy, You don't get unity because we all see everything the same way exactly, and so that's easy. You get unity, listen to me, when there is a commitment bigger than the the divisions. You get unity when there is a commitment bigger than the divisions, and there is nothing bigger than the worship and glory of God through his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And for everybody that knows him and loves him and has had their sins forgiven through him, they get this. And so may God give us a fresh emphasis this morning on prioritizing one another in the church. Now, several years ago, we became really convicted that we as a church needed to pray more. You get to see that and you get to... uh, watch how that's played out. Like even now, you just saw Matt McBroom come up here and do a pastoral prayer time in our church. That is, before the sermon, an extended commitment in our church to praying. We started that several months ago, and that's nice. Us pastors come up with something that we think our church needs to be praying about. That is us leading you all in prayer, and hopefully that's also encouraging and strengthening and edifying and building up to you all that you're hearing us pray and teaching you all how to pray, but we're praying. Along those lines, also several years ago, we decided that we wanted our Wednesday night service to be mostly prayer. And so we started getting old-fashioned, if you will, and so we went back to having a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, in that discussion, it came up multiple times like, a lot of people don't like to go to a prayer meeting. They're kind of boring. They can be awkward, all of that. We wrestled with that, and we came to the conclusion that said, you know what? We do want to do things here that get people, and may God in his mercy increase our number, but we don't want to start with what gets people here. We want to start with what does God say to do? And God says that the church gathers to pray. And when we decided years ago that we were going to have gathering meetings here just to pray, we were aware that some people won't come. They're boring, they're odd, you fall asleep, people pray too long, people get too personal, right? People start confessing their sins, which is biblical too, right? All of that stuff goes on, and so maybe not everybody's going to come to that. But we found ourselves thinking God says the church gathers to pray. Well, when we did that, we came up with this phrase, 
that you may not have heard in a while. It used to be on our prayer sheet, but it's not anymore. I don't know why we took it off. But I love this phrase. Listen to this. And I want you to adopt it personally. It says, if it matters to God, it matters to me. Because we are people of God, right? What God cares about, we care about. If it matters to God, it matters to me. And if it matters to you, then it matters to us. I love that phrase. If you've forgotten it, write it down. Take notes. Write it in your Bible. May that be the framework of what it means to be a church. If it matters to God, it matters to me. I read his word. I know what he cares about. I know what he says. I know what the truth is. I know what matters to him. I know what upsets God. I know what delights him. I know what makes God happy. I know what pleases him. And if it matters to you, then that matters to all of us because I'm committed to you because I know that we're in this together because we don't give, on each, give up on each other because I know that life is hard because I know that there are times when you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling and I know that there are times when you've had your feelings hurt or I've had my feelings hurt. I know there are times when I get away from God and I start falling into temptation into sin, right? And if it matters to you, then it matters to us because we want to see the body of Christ flourish in trusting in Christ. This is the whole idea behind the one another's. I've already said that there are 100 of them, 100 of them in the New Testament. And with that being said, many of them uh, have, have common themes. There are lots of one another passages on unity. You hear this type of thing a lot. Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. Romans 15.7, welcome one another, accept one another. There are lots of verses that emphasize the unity among one another. There are lots on love, like this, Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. John 13, which we just read, love one another, a new commandment from Christ, that we love one another. There are lots of verses that say we must love one another. Humility, lots of verses on humility. John 13, 14, wash one another's feet. Philippians 2, 3, regard one another as more important than yourself. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. All of these passages are us embodying humility. And there are one another passages that talk, quite frankly, to the church on what we shouldn't do. Listen to these. Romans 14, 13, let us not pass judgment on one another. Galatians 5.15, don't bite and devour one another. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. James 4.11, do not speak evil of one another. James 5.9, do not grumble or complain against one another. You see what I mean by the one another's? We're just getting started, and we can see here this morning, they're really good. I sat down this week as I was preparing, and I wrote out every one, every single one. I started realizing, man, I should have typed these out instead of written these with a pen once I got about halfway through. There's a lot of them, a lot of really, really good ones. Have the same care for one another. Be tenderhearted toward one another forgiving one another. Now let me ask you something real quick. If the Bible says that we're supposed to forgive one another, what does that mean that we're going to do against each other? If the Bible says to forgive one another, what does that assume that we just did to one another? Offended. 
You see that? Christianity says that you will offend me, I will offend you, and the amazing grace of God will work in us to overcome it with conversation, with confession, with apology, with communication, with grace and humility and forgiveness. And if you're sitting here going, yeah, right, how in the world, that ain't possible, where would that come from? Let me remind you that not a person here has been offended so much by another person more than we have offended God. And yet, God in his beauty and glory and mercy has forgiven us of our sins. We just sang that his goodness comes running after us even though that in our rebellion we've run away from him. And yet in Christ we are forgiven. And the Bible teaches us that the way Christ has forgiven us, Ephesians 4.32, is the way that we are to forgive one another, knowing that there may at times be offense, there may at times be sin. This is a part of life. Is it good? No. Is it pretty? No. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it ugly? Yes. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so God empowers us to handle it and deal with it and work through it and, listen, Suffer through it, limp through it, crawl through it, sacrifice through it for the sake of the glory of God, for the proclamation of Jesus who is able to unite. He's able to unite offenders. He's able to unite those who've been offended. The one and others speak to this. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, if there's a hundred places where this is mentioned... We could have gone anywhere, but it's been a while since I've preached to you all from 1 Peter, so this is where we're going to go. Today we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Chapter 4, 7 through 11. Now, if you don't know much about Peter, he was an apostle, and he hasn't written many books in the New Testament. We have First and Second Peter, and he's writing to the persecuted believers. That, what makes, that is what makes Peter's book so outstanding, is that we know that the people he's writing to are having a hard time. They are the persecuted church. The world is against them. They are suffering. They are in affliction and trials and hardships. Life is not all that good for them. So Peter writes them a letter and says, remember the hope that you have. Remember how much God loves you. Remember how safe and secure you are in him. Remember that your identity is in him. Remember what it means to have an identity in Christ. Man, you're his. You are his. Your maker, you are his. Your father in heaven, you are his. The one who hung on the cross, you are his. The one who rose from the grave, you are his. Remember those things, and God will see you through it. That's what these letters are about. We get to chapter 4, verse 7, where we'll start today, and it says this. The end of all things is at hand. That's a big statement. Peter has in light all things coming together. doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world because it was 2,000 years off if that was the case. But he means that we're in the end times. And just for a quick glance, because I know everybody's bringing up the end times these days, the Bible makes clear that from the time Christ was here until the time Christ comes back, that's the end times. 
We are living in the end times right now. They may be getting a little bit worse, maybe getting a lot worse, but these are the end times. They were the end times. 100 years ago was the end times. 100 years from now is the end times. 1,000 years ago was the end times. 1,000 years in the future is the end times. Now, obviously, every day is a little bit closer to the end, and every day is a little bit closer to heaven. Those things are true, but we are living in the last days, okay? So it's not so much a time period, it's, a, it's a, an experience that we're going through that we are closer to the end. And so look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you know Peter was into it right there because he dropped an amen and he wasn't at the end of the book yet. You thought that was the end. It's funny if you start reading the commentaries because they all start saying, was that the end or was it not the end? Did he add on chapter five? You know, all that sort of stuff. And I'm just saying, hey, he was into it. That point was so good right there. He was getting so fired up on the, the power of God to work in them in the last days, in the end times. The power to unite them was so real that he just goes off on the glory of Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever and amen. And then he just keeps on writing. You saw that there were a lot of one another's here, didn't you? Three one another's right there in this one passage. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. Now, normally we like to go verse by, fir- by verse straight through everything. Uh, but today I'm going to go backwards with it. I have three points for you this morning. Number one, the glory of one another. Number two, the giving end of one another. And number three, the receiving end of one another. We'll start with the glory of one another. After he talks about how they should be, they need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. They need to be mindful of our prayers. Now, it's interesting here to think about um, how our mindfulness affects our prayers, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And then he gets into the the one another's, love one another, serve one another, show hospitality to one another. But at the end, getting down here to verse 11, the second half of it, he says, all of that, look here, happens by the strength that God supplies. You know, a phrase that we hear a lot in the world today is, I don't know how they do it. I do not know how they do it. That would be a good phrase outside the church. But I'm afraid I hear Christians say it all the time, too. I don't know how you do it. Man, you got two kids, I don't know how you do it. You got two in diapers, I don't know how you do it. You have been married 50 years, don't know how you did it. You worked all day, I don't know how you did it. You worked outside in the heat, don't know how you did it, right? Man, they hurt your feelings, don't know how you did it, right? People are saying this all the time. The Bible makes crystal clear that no matter what we are going through, right? I've been high, I've been low. I've been hungry, I've been full. I've been rich, I've been poor. And I have learned the secret to being content in everything by the power of God working in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter what God takes me to, God can get me through, Does everybody understand that? You don't ever need to think again, don't know how I did it. Because listen here, God will get you through it. God will be with you 
in it. God is the source, literally. God is the source of the life of a believer, and that's what we have here. No matter what we're talking about, even if it's just little things like showing hospitality, like somebody came over to your house and you said, hey, man, it's really hot outside. Would you like some sweet tea? By the way, I love sweet tea. I've been binge drinking it lately. I love, I love, it's so hot that I'm drinking so much sweet tea, like a gallon a day. Love, love drinking that. Somebody comes over to your house and you say to them, hey, would you like some sweet tea? They say yes. Don't go, man, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you just are so nice to me. I don't know how you're so hospitable. I don't know, I don't know how you do it. Listen, even in that, the Bible says, was by the strength that God supplies. Now, this doesn't mean that we're nice and the only way to be nice is through God. Lots of people that are nice. But the Bible says that this is a part of your Christian witness and this is done by faith in Christ and then all that we're trying to do is to please him. It means that in everything we're doing, by faith, we know that the way we got there and the way it gets there, like everything that comes into us and everything that comes out of us is by the working of God inside of us. So you look back to verse 11. By the strength that God supplies, look here, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is to be worshiped. God is to be glorified. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are to be the peak of our worship and affection and love. Our hearts should long for him and want him and treasure him and want him to be pleased through us. And that's what Peter's saying. But he makes it so beautiful and simple that in Christianity, everything we do, hospitality, service, love, all these things are here, forgiveness of sin can be real. And they can be for the glory of God. And they happen as God supplies that strength. When we get the one another's and we start to think how I live must be in a commitment to my church and to other believers and the people that are in my life for the glory of God, we are to be thinking that every move in that is for the glory of God. Every move inside the life of the believer is to be for the glory of God, the glory of one another. Now, this, this packs an extra strong punch when you know that Peter is talking to people being persecuted, being opposed, experiencing hostility and opposition because of their faith. And so he reminds them to a watching, listen, hateful, judgmental, harsh world. He reminds them that when you are committed to one another through love, service, forgiveness, grace, humility, even hospitality, when there is a commitment to each other, Christian on Christian, believer on believer, church member on church member, when there is a commitment and unity and honor and love to each other, God is glorified. What a beautiful thing to know that God has given us helpful, clear instruction that if we will start looking to being committed to each other, prioritizing each other, living devoted to each other or one another, he gets the glory. When God saves you, he moves your heart from wanting glory to be for yourself or for your family, for your work or for whatever, that, every, that in everything, God would get the glory. And Peter makes simple here 
The commitment to one another glorifies God. So let me just say a few things to clear this up. Doing good to people, which we all aim for, I hope, isn't necessarily of God. Doing good to people in God's strength, in God's ways, for God's glory, that is of God. We've got to be able to distinguish here. Or listen to this quote from Tom Schreiner. Those who minister and serve others must not rely on their own strength. They must minister with the strength God provides. Okay? So, I don't know how you do it. Or where'd that come from? Or how'd you do that? The answer is God. Relying on his power to carry out their tasks. Presumably, they rely on his power through prayer, which we're going to get back to in a few minutes. When those who speak utter God's words rather than their own, and those who serve do so in God's strength rather than their own, God, through Jesus Christ, receives the glory. God receives the glory because he is the one who has provided the wisdom and strength for ministry. The provider, listen to this, is always the one who is praised. You ever been the one to like carry out a gift? And so when you dropped off the gift, you didn't buy the gift, you just delivered the gift. And so when you dropped it off, they were like, oh, thank you so much. You're like, don't thank me. They were the ones that paid for it or they were the ones that bought it, right? That's what this is saying. Christians are to know that in everything going on with us, it's not you that gets praised or you that gets praised or you that gets praised because you were loving or kind or hospitable or any of those things. It's God at work in us by faith in Christ. And that's what he's pointing out. The provider is always the one who is praised. Listen, if human beings are the source of wisdom and strength for ministry, they deserve to be complimented. But if understanding and energy come from the Lord, which they do, he gets the glory as the one who empowers his people. This past week was a huge day in the life of my three sons. For the first time ever, they earned some money. Not from us, they earned some money. We've been working hard over the last year to teach them how to mow grass, and they've they finally gotten it. We got, you know, they, we got some that mow, and I do the weed eating, and then we got one that blows. Y'all can figure out who does what, right? And um, they finally mowed some yards, and they got paid some cash. First time ever for earned income in their lives. Kind of neat, kind of exciting, kind of a downer when you have to split it three ways. But anyway, we sat down in the living room, y'all, just, just the other night. I said, listen here, guys. You waking up today was by the grace of God. You living today was by the grace of God. Your strength to push a mower was by the grace of God. The strength to do it in that hot weather was by the grace of God. The money to buy the gas, the dad to help you was by the grace of God. Everything in your life comes from God, and don't you ever, ever miss that. And so, this money is from God too. God says that we are to honor him with everything. So before you start thinking about a video game you can buy or a slushy that you can buy <clears throat> or any new toy or anything like that, we got to decide here first what we're going to do with this money and how we can honor God with it. 
I said a starting point is 10%. It's just a good gauge to start with. The Bible doesn't have a super hard edge on that, but that's a good starting point. If you made $10, how much is that? One, right? So I said for the rest of your lives, whether it's 20 bucks on a yard, 1,000 bucks in a paycheck, or hopefully a million bucks for you guys, you honor God with it because he gave you that. It came from him. If we ever get to thinking that there's any goodness in our lives apart from him, we're missing the point, folks. We are to understand anything in our lives, our ability to speak, which is how you can encourage people, our ability to host, which is how you can be hospitable, our ability to give because we've had an income, no matter what it is. Y'all, that is from God. And God gave it to believers so that you would show it back to one another. And when believers get this, he's glorified. Oh, that the church, Christians, would be thinking, all that I am is because of God. Now, it is nice and it is healthy to say, man, my dad really taught me well. My mom, man, she would never allow that. Hey, going to that school was so good for me. Being around those people were so good for me. Hey, my, my coach, he always taught me this. Those are beautiful things. But all of those things are under the umbrella of what God has given you. The gifts that you get from people are gifts that God has given to you through people. And so in everything we think, to God be the glory. May God use through me every way he's blessed me. And that happens in church. That happens with the church. That happens with us. So we have the one another's. Number one, the glory of one another. But number two, and we're going to get super practical on these last two points, the giving end of one another. So if Christians and church people are to be thinking about the one another's, like so many of them, and understanding what they are in the Bible, then obviously there will be two ends, right? The giving end and the receiving end, right? So that means at times, I should be thinking, why aren't y'all serving me? And why aren't y'all giving to me? And why aren't y'all forgiving me? And why aren't y'all being gracious to me, right? And at times, y'all should be thinking, why isn't Josh giving to me? Why isn't Josh forgiving me? Why isn't Josh serving me? Why isn't Josh loving me, right? There's a giving end and there's a receiving end. And the answer is that we're all supposed to be both, right? But I want us to think practically today about that. So let's look back here at chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, y'all. We're living in days where if you want to be what the Bible says, it's going to take focus. Right? There, there is no coasting in godliness. I hope you've learned that by now. You will not coast into Christ-likeness. You will not be repentant of your sins and broken of your sins. You will not confess your sins. You will not run around <clears throat> looking in the mirror to see your flaws and see all the ways that you don't reveal Christ and looking to repair on those and turn to somebody and say, hey man, help me with this. I'm really struggling here, right? You will not be like Jesus coasting naturally. We must be in the word. We must be in the body. We must be in worship. We must have the things that God says to have in our life, in our life, to make us a certain way. And that's the intensity that you get here in chapter 4, verse 7. If you want to live the one another's, you must be sober-minded and self-controlled. Is this not 
two of the biggest words that will grip us if we start looking at character and integrity and, and, and godly living. Sober-minded and self-controlled. Always focused. Never distracted. The opposite of sober-minded would be drunkenness, meaning you can't think straight. Your mind isn't very clear. You're not able to focus. You forgot what your point was today. You forgot what you were trying to accomplish, what you were trying to be about. Sober-minded. Self-controlled, meaning there's a chance to get out of control. There's a tendency for me to lose focus and do things that I really wish I wouldn't do. Self-controlled says I always am under control, right? And those are fruits of the Spirit. This is what God works in us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But we are living in a time, they were and we were, we are living in a time where it takes that if you want to live out what God says for us to be. If you want to live for the glory of God, it takes sober-minded and self-controlled. And then he says, for the sake of your prayers. Now think about this. He assumes you're praying. I think we all assume that a persecuted church is praying, amen? The persecuted church is praying. But he knows that without control and without sober-mindedness, what are you even praying? Are these well wishes, right? Are these desperate cries without a, a focus on the forgiveness of sins through Christ? Is this to the Father in heaven through Christ, right? And so our prayers must come with clarity that we know who we're praying to and we know how we're praying through Christ who is our Savior, who has forgiven us. With that intense focus that we see in verse 7, he then goes into, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love one another. Now, the reason why we read John 13 earlier, which is, <clears throat> I think Jake read earlier, is because it's in John 13 where Jesus washes their feet, right? This is the night before he's betrayed, right? John 13 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's Thursday in the Passion Week. He's about to uh, be uh, crucified on Friday, okay? This is heavy stuff. He washes their feet. And during that scene, he tells them that they are to love one another. He mentions it several times in chapter 13, love one another. But he calls it a new commandment. Listen up. He calls it a new commandment. Well, isn't it always been a command to love people from God? Wasn't the greatest commandment, even back from the law, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Hasn't God always been about love? Wasn't the second greatest commandment, even from the law, love your neighbor as yourself? So if God's always been about loving God and loving people, like those are his greatest commandments, what makes this a new commandment? Well, good question. What makes it a new commandment is that now it is done sacrificially. Now we love no matter what. Now we don't, we don't love wanting to see what we get out of it. We don't love each other if we are loved back. We don't love if you don't ever offend me. We love because we've been loved. We love because there's a source of love that flows through us. And so guess what? If you showed up today and you really didn't want us to love us, you didn't really want to be loved, guess what? You are to be loved. The new commandment is that we love now no matter what. The Bible flips it and says in the New Testament, you're to love your enemies. That person smacked you, yep, love them. That person talked bad about you, yep, love them. That person insulted you, yep, forgive them. They talked behind your back, yes, they did. Okay, forgive them. This is the new commandment. That the ability to love, the strength to love, the cause for love, the condition in which we love is not like this. Oh, no. Throw that back on the old law, which came through Moses, which wasn't able to say, but grace and truth, as we learned two weeks ago, came through Jesus Christ. There is a new source in me. There is a new source in Christ, in the Christian. There is a new source in the body of Christ that says, you're getting love from me whether you want it or not. Now, I know that that sounds a little far-fetched. 
But that's the new commandment Jesus gave. And listen to this. It is right there where he says, the world will know that you are truly mine when you love through my strength. And we see how not very much of a witness it is when all we do is love in good times. Everybody does that. Everybody can love in an easy setting. We don't pat ourselves on the back for that. We are to be loving. We are to be loving no matter what. And so if you look back here, you see in verse 8, look at this. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I said earlier in the sermon that if the Bible says to forgive one another, then that means it assumes that we've offended each other. But Peter just took this way further, right? He said a multitude of sins. So this isn't whatever the phrase is, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. This is, I've been offended many times. There are a multitude of sins here. And if we're being quite honest, right? Does the church of God not often struggle? Have we not been a failure of a witness at times? Yes. Don't all of us carry inside of us things that are weighing us down because we know lost people in our lives or even more so believers or church members or brothers and sisters in Christ that have been hurt by us or pushed away or offended? And yet Peter writes to a suffering hurting church and says, above everything, love earnestly, for it covers a multitude of sins. How freeing is it in your home where no matter what you do, the family members still love you? Isn't that a good feeling? And how freeing is it in the church when no matter what we do, we are still loved. Now, I've taught y'all many, many times that you never just take one passage of the Bible and form your whole worldview on it, right? The Bible also teaches accountability, and we know all that good stuff. Church discipline is a real thing, and you must repent of your sins and all of that. But here in 1 Peter 4, we are to see that love covers a multitude of sins. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you have friendships in the body of Christ, brother and sisterhood in the body of Christ, where in the past, there's been some sin, and you've gotten through it. And I hope, I hope that you're not saying, anytime there's ever been sin, I've walked out on the opportunity for there to be growth and forgiveness and reparation and all that. Love covers the multitude of sins. From there, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't complain about it. You know this phrase, listen to me. I, I remember about 15 years ago, I heard it for the first time. It's kind of fun. You ever heard the phrase that says, this is why we can't have nice things? Because we have nice things that just get ruined, right? Somebody bars your car and they mess it up. That type of stuff. Hey, listen. I'm just going to be totally honest. Part of showing hospitality is that it's going to get messed up at times. That's part of it. If you've not understood that, you're misunderstanding this. We love no matter what. 
They come over to your house. They spill a drink on your carpet, right? They borrow your tools. They break them. Like, we could go on and on. That happens. And hospitality says, sorry, we'll get another one. No big deal. We'll figure it out. That's hospitality without grumbling. It's not, yeah, you can borrow it, but you break it, I break you, right? That's not Christianity. Christianity says, there are bigger things in mind here. Man, I'm so thankful. I borrowed some yard tools from a, a brother in Christ in the church recently, and I told him I was coming by, and then I didn't make it by. And then I texted him and said, I'll be by in a little bit, didn't go by in a little bit. And then I called and said, man, I ain't coming by. Sorry you've been waiting all day. And you know what he said? I was ready for him to say, boy, you, you do me wrong again. You're such a lazy pastor. And you're so out of time. You never keep your time straight. You know what he said? Hey, man, it's no problem. Would you like for me to just come bring it all to you? I thought, the hospitality. The hospitality here. I had dropped the balls running around. It was 100 degrees. But I didn't, I didn't get to where I said I was going to get to. And instead of them saying, man, you're never on time, which he could have said, you say, you want me to just bring it to you? You see what I mean? And all of a sudden, me feeling so guilty and so worried about his view of me all of a sudden had been covered over by love. It had been covered over by kindness. It had been covered over by hospitality. Then he goes on and says, as each has received a gift, you know about spiritual gifts, you know that the spirit working inside of us has made every believer able to contribute in different ways, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Again, you see the emphasis on it's not really you, it's from God, which I talked about already. If it's a speaking gift, speak the oracles of God. If it's a serving gift, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, but no matter what, that God gets the glory. And so we must ask ourselves here, are you able to think about with the one another's the giving end and the receiving end of one another. The giving end says you want to be that blessing. That God's given you strength and God's given you life and God's loved you so much. And you want that love and that mercy and that hospitality and that service to be on others. You want other people to think about God through you. You want people to hear about God through you. You want people to be at ease or their burden dropped. You want people to be strengthened or encouraged or built up through you. And so you want to be the, the giving end. I had somebody call the church. No, y'all aren't going to believe this. Actually, multiple people call the church now. Think about it. And say, hey, I got a stimulus check. Didn't need it. Didn't want it. You got any good ideas of what we can do with it? The, the, the giving end says, everything about me is from God. I don't get any of the credit. What needs to be done around here? And y'all, one of the beauties of being a part of a church is that there are always so many things. Right now, there are about 10 Young couples in our church that need diapers. Easy, easy move. Had somebody text us yesterday, needed diapers. Swung by, pick pack, got diapers, dropped them off, took a few minutes. Nothing, right? The, the giving end of it is so simple. And then there's another end, the receiving end. Meaning, you get that. 
Meaning you understand that it's a part of church to be on the receiving end. That there are times where you have to allow yourselves to be served and allow yourselves to be loved, to loved and be a part. Listen to me, this is real talk. Be a part of a church where you can assume grace and forgiveness and mercy. Being a part of a body where when you're feeling guilt and shame, you don't run away. You say, those people will care for me. They care. They will pick me up. They will lift me up. It ain't going to be the first time they've heard of somebody sinning. It ain't going to be the first time they've dealt with sin. They're not even people that don't sin. We all do. And so the giving in and the receiving in is so important to think about right now. Now, this is Peter writing, right? And Peter emphasizes the one another in such a strong way. Don't you think right now, or aren't there coming to mind right now with Peter so many examples of Peter learning this in his own life? You remember when Peter said, I'll never deny you, and then he did? You remember Peter tried to walk on water and took his eyes off and sunk? You remember when Jesus was washing their feet? Do you remember what Peter said? No way. No way, Jesus. You're never going to wash my feet, man. Remember what happened that night? Jesus washed his feet. See, Peter is, he's not giving good life advice. There's a, there's a time, listen to me. There's a time where Christianity tries to get over practical and says, hey, if you really want to be happy, go do all that I said today. That's the key. There's preachers out there saying that stuff all the time. Peter is saying right here that Jesus has loved, served, whatever, forgiven, taken care of, shown hospitality, encouraged us so much that now we want to be a part of a body that does that. And we just get to look around and see it all the time. This week I had a man in our church tell me, that there's doing some remodeling at his house. So there have been all these like contractors in his house working. He said, man, be praying for me because you know those guys are in my house and I'm, I'm gonna tell them about Jesus. So we were praying. He came back and he said, sure enough, God opened the door. They told me something's going on in their life. I said, I'll be praying for you. And they said, okay. And the next day the guy comes back, contractor comes back and he says, Man, I want you to know that that encouraged me when you said you were a Christian. And he said, well, how'd you know that I was a Christian? He said, well, you said you were going to pray for me. He said, oh, okay, great. He said, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm a Christian too. And our guy goes, oh, man, that's great. Man, I'm so glad to hear that because I was praying for you and I wanted to actually talk to you about that. I even asked my church and my pastor to be praying that I could talk to you about whether you know Jesus or not. And so I'm so glad to know that you are. What church do you go to? The contractor goes, oh, I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian and don't even try to start in that conversation about I do have to go to church to be a Christian. We've all been there, right? But listen to this answer that I've been so taken back by. Our church guy said, you may not have to go to church to be a Christian, but why wouldn't you? Man, I love my church. Or better, my church loves me so much. 
I'm not making this illustration up. I just stumbled upon it this week. A guy in our church told a contractor in his house, man, I don't know where I'd be without their love and support, without their rebuke, without their correction, without their encouragement, without them loving on me. I don't know how I would keep holding on in this troubling life that I live without my church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm painting a perfect picture today, aren't I? That's what the Bible says. That it's not about how good you are at being church, and it's not about how good I am at being church. It's about how good he is at being our father, how good he is at being our savior. And if our eyes are on him, guess what flows out? The one and others, all 100 of them, by his grace. If you've been thinking of church based person to person, then let's set our eyes on Christ afresh today. Let's believe the one and others. If you're not right with God today and you're being aware of it through the emphasis upon the gospel, turn to him. Turn your life to him and say, God, I, I repent. I need forgiveness. I've been thinking that my Christian life was based off the back and forth, and it's not. It's based off the vertical, up and down with God. If you're here today and you have not been embracing the one another's, let's do it. Let's do it. One of the simplest ways now with Google, go to Google and type in the one another's of the Bible, and it'll pull up all 100. Read them. Be encouraged. Start to say, I want to be the giving end of the one another's, and I want to be the receiving end of the one another's. And if I do that, my church will be so blessed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much that you love us and you serve us. Thank you, God, that your love to us covers our sins through the blood of Christ. Father, we pray that you would make our church a church that takes seriously in the New Testament the one another's and that you would be glorified through us. Father, this is supernatural, so help us work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.